This is the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors Podcast, sponsored by Bemidji State University and Northwest Technical College. The Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors Podcast is also sponsored by Visit Bemidji. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors covers the lakes, woods, trails, wildlife, and anything else going on outdoors in Paul Bunyan's Playground. Today we kick off the year, as we always do, previewing some of the gems of Paul Bunyan Country, and the first one today is a big one. Lake Malax. Tom Heinrich from the Malax Area Fisheries Office has the details. Plus, we'll get the details from Nicole Lollum of Explore Minnesota on the Governor's Fishing Opener. It's all coming up on Fishing Paul Bunyan Country, presented by Northland Fishing Tackle. If you're listening to this show, it's because you love the outdoors. And if you love the outdoors, we've got the perfect educational opportunity for you. Northwest Technical College. You'll be in the heart of the outdoors, forests and lakes, fishing and hunting, And when you're not fishing and hunting, you'll be getting ready for your future. Northwest Technical College has state-of-the-art technical education in six career paths. Automotive, building trades, business, health, child care, and manufacturing technology. All in the heart of the Northwoods. More than 400 lakes. Just basically a stone's throw away. And of course, thousands of acres of forest. I think I said that earlier. The shortest path to your dream job begins at NTC, Bemidji's Technical College. Learn more today. Visit ntcmn.edu. ntcmn.edu. Well, we're checking in today with Tom Heinrich. He's the area fishery supervisor out of the Wallax office. And that is one big lake, Tom. I, I never realized how big it was until, because uh, I didn't get down there that often. Until I, I decided to go down to the Twin Cities that way once just because I wanted to drive by Wallax. And I just kept going and going and going. <laughs> and the lake was there and there and there. It's a big body of water. Oh, yeah. It's a good-sized lake. Yep. Uh, how many acres is Malax? It's right around 132,000. And where does that put it in in comparison to the other big lakes in the state? I believe it's number two. Okay. Uh, it's behind um, behind Upper and Lower Red. Okay. Wow. So that's it is a big lake with a lot of uh, uh, water to cover and a lot of fish to catch. That's the one thing about Mille Lacs and, and a lot of lakes of that size in this state. Uh, there's just a diversity of fish to go after. Yeah, you know, of course, walleye is our big fish, you know, the one that most people are interested in and think of when they think of Mille Lacs. But uh, probably in the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so, you know, smallmouth bass have really come up. And, you know, that's turned into a really significant fishery for us here. And uh, not just amongst Minnesotans, but uh, amongst people from all over the United States. It really has. Um, I know that, uh, you know, in Fisherman uh, proclaimed it one of the top um, smallmouth bass fisheries in the nation. Yeah, and that's um, you know we've got decent uh, we've got decent abundance of smallmouth, and our smallmouth actually get quite large. You know, so we've got a significant portion of our population that's up over twenty inches long. So that is the uh, the thing that's a little unusual about Minnesota waters because we don't have the growing season of some of those southern 
bass waters. You, you know, the bass doesn't typically get as large, but you've got plenty of them growing really well. Yeah, you know, I was actually talking to, um, I think he was from Louisiana. He was uh, he was an outdoor writer. And, um, you know, he basically posed the same question to me. He's like, why do our bass get so big despite that we hardly have any growing season for these things? And my response to him was, well, you know, nobody in Minnesota or very few people actually eat bass. So, um, you know, it's primarily a catch-and-release fishery. And he just... You know that was just an alien concept, you know, because uh, in the in the southern United States, you know, my understanding is that uh, bass are much more of a food fish than they are in Minnesota. Well, yeah, that, that's that's very much true, and we do uh, we are spoiled in that regard. We've got plenty of other, uh, I think, better tasting species to 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 be able to eat. So that does allow us to keep putting them back in the water, keep letting them grow. Yep, absolutely. It's you know it's. You know, it's all, it's catch and release by by choice rather than by regulation. Right. Um, so let's uh, let's let's talk about walleyes, of course, because that is one that's uh, that Balax has been on the microscope for for years and years, and we we always have to make some adjustments to the um, to the to the walleye limit. So what do we have going on this year on Malax? So the um, the limits are actually very very similar, or the uh, the whole regulations package is actually very very similar to what it was last year. Um, you know, we've got a harvest season in May. Um, we've got a catch and release season through the majority of the summer. Um, but then we do have um, a closure, you know, where you're not allowed to fish for walleye during the first half of July. Uh, the reason that we implemented that is because um, the state fishery is under a quota, you know, so the state fishery can only harvest some, it's just a little bit over 80,000 pounds of walleye. And uh, hooking mortality, so fish that die after being caught and released, are are part of our quota. And what we've found through time is that um, you know we can we can kill up to twenty thousand pounds of walleye in that two week period in the first half of July. And the reason for that is because angling pressure is still fairly high, uh, angling success is still fairly high, but water temperatures, which really are one of the primary things that determine whether a fish is going to survive. Um, after being released is also quite high at that time of the year. And so by shutting the fishery down for two weeks in July, what we do is we actually gain um, the ability to not shut the fishery down later on in the summer, you know, as we approach our quota. Okay. And uh, because of that this year, we are actually able to offer um, an additional harvest opportunity in the fall beginning on September 1st this year. Uh, so last year, what we had is we had the harvest opportunity in the fall that began September 16th, um, but we saw that that worked fairly well. It was at a time of the year where angling pressure was relatively light, but uh, and water temperatures had gone down, and so catch-and-release fishery is really viable then. Um, and so we could actually offer some additional harvest opportunity in the fall this year that we haven't been able to in quite a while. So we're going to start out the season for a couple of weeks being able to... One, one uh, from 21 to 23 inches, unless right. it's over 28, and you could harvest a large one then too. Okay. So yeah, you can either either over 28 or between 21 and 23. Yes. And and then uh, we're going to we're going to be catch and release, release only, no fishing in July for for a stretch and then starting in September 1st uh, a harvest opportunity again. Same same regs. Same regs. Yep, 21 okay. to 23 over 28. Okay. One of the things, and I think it's, you know, it's important to do this, not just on Mille Lacs, but any lakes, but one of the things that has gotten complicated over the years is, uh, as we've understood how f- fish live and how they survive and, and what works best, 
it's gotten a little more complicated for the angler to try to remember what's going on and why it's going on. Yeah, you know, I, I really can't argue with you, especially on Mille Lacs. <laughs> you know, we've got, um, I mean, if you sum them up, you know, through the year, we've got like five different regulation changes just on walleye. You know, and that's because, you know, it's an, it's an extremely popular lake to fish. You know, mm-hmm. at certain certain years, you know, we can have extremely high catch rates. And um, our management goals uh, on Mille Lacs, you know, we've got three different management goals. And first and foremost is that, um, you know, we provide an angling opportunity so that people can continue to participate in the fishery. And the second goal is no unplanned closures. And because we are under a quota system here, um, Mm -hmm. as we get to our quota, then uh, we have to consider a shutdown. And if we can kind of limit the kill of anglers uh, earlier in the year, we can we can avoid that shutdown. And finally, when when we have enough fish in the system, uh, we can offer a harvest opportunity. And that's those are our three overriding management goals for this lake. And um, and in order to maximize any one of those or all three of those, you know, these are the kind of regs that we have to that we have to um, put into place. Bottom line is all that information is in the book, and in this day and age virtually not everybody but pretty close to everybody's got that phone right next to them and that information is is accessible easily on the dnr website yep there's a there's a specific web page um you know geared towards malax and uh, you can look up the regulations uh right on that web page what about muskie i know that uh, you've got some really big ones in there and i know there's plenty of people who go after muskies too Yep, you know our musky our musky fishery. Um, I guess I would characterize it as you know kind of a low density population. Well, it's not kind of it is a low density population of muskies, but um, but the lake has the ability to grow some really large fish. And um, you know, in last fall, of course, you know the fish that was caught in Malax uh, became the new state record. Right. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> um, it's it's not a fishery where I think that uh, people can go out and you know count on catching a muskie. Uh, but if they do fish for them and they catch one, um, it's going to be a very large individual. And, uh, you know, that that's really important to some individuals. With the volume of water there, um, there's plenty of places for muskies to hide and grow and grow and grow. Yeah, there is. You know, the um, I, I think a lot of these things, you know, they're out there. Tulipi are really important in their diet. And so, you know, tulipi, of course, tend to be an offshore species. And so um, I think a lot of those muskies are just following schools of tulipy around. Yeah. You know, they may not be, um, you know, hanging out in weeds, you know, where a lot of people like to fish for them. They may not be hanging out on rock piles. Um, so, you know, that's that's something that anglers have to consider when they're chasing these things. What are some of the other fish that people really like to go uh, go for that, that you have an abundance of? Uh, you know, I think we've got uh, a northern pike fishery that's kind of overlooked by a lot of people. Um, you know, we do have, um, yeah, we've got some really nice-sized individuals. You know, I saw a couple of fish up over 40 inches come out of the lake last year. But, um, you know, the majority of our fish are somewhere in that, um, I would say, mid to upper 20-inch range, and those are all harvestable. Uh, we've got special northern pike rigs on the lake, you know, which are designed to provide for, a you know, um, a trophy element to our fish population so we've got a a 30 inch max on uh, on northern pike but that still allows anglers the opportunity to harvest a pretty good sized pike if they want to harvest one for the table absolutely uh, yeah and um so you know those shouldn't be overlooked you know i mean pike pike is one of those things that i really like to fish for 
and we do actually have an extended season on uh, on pike on Mille Lacs that you know some people have taken advantage of. The season just closed here the other day. Um, we have a nice fishery that goes until the end of March rather than closing traditionally at the end of February. So um, that that's kind of a neat opportunity for anglers, you know, and that's that's kind of the majority of uh, of what we've got in the lake. Um, something that something else we have, I guess, is um, we've got a uh, largemouth bass population here that's really overlooked. Um, it's a very small, you know, relatively localized population, but we've got some really nice size individuals. You know, if people are mm-hmm. going to choose to fish for those things in, uh, you know, in, in areas where there's a lot of aquatic vegetation, I think they have an opportunity to catch a really nice largemouth as well. One of the things you note is you had a, it, it appears that you've uh, had some pretty good perch recruiting here recently. Yeah, you know, so perch have been down for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I started looking at our um, at uh, what was going on with our perch population, it looks like we had a pretty good recruitment from our 2020 year class of perch. And so, in fact, the uh, our fall gill netting last year showed that it was the highest abundance of one-year-old perch that we've had since 2009. So, um, you know, potentially we could be looking at, um, you know, some improvement in our perch population over the next few years, our, our catchable size perch population, I should say. Well, that's that's good news, and obviously that's, you know, I mean, for, for any lake, when we hear good uh, perch recruitment, we're happy because uh, that's been a concern not just on Mille Lacs. That's been, that's, that is a concern uh, kind of statewide right now as far as perch goes. Yeah, yeah, it does seem like perch are down on a statewide basis, and I'm not sure if anybody's really got their finger on what the cause is yet. I mean, kind of in my backyard here on Mille Lacs Lake, it's certainly good to see that, uh, you know, perch have seemed to have pulled off a year class. Now, the downside of that, of course, is that uh, having an abundance of forage may slow down the walleye fishing a little <laughs> bit. You know, there's always a downside to everything. Right, yes. But, uh, but I mean, even a relatively slow walleye bite on Mille Lacs is still a pretty decent one. Much more on our Mille Lacs preview with Tom Heinrich coming up later on. But up next, we're going to talk about the Governor's Fishing Opener. It's coming to the heart of Paul Bunyan country in the Chippewa National Forest. The Governor will be fishing with Tom Newstrom on Lake Winnie. And we're going to get all the details from Nicole Lalum of Explore Minnesota next on Fishing Paul Bunyan Country. Hi, this is Dick Beardsley, Bemidji Area Fishing Guide. I'd like to invite you to come to our beautiful town of Bemidji. We've got over 400 lakes in our area teeming with walleye, pike, muskie, bass, and panfish. We're the gateway to the Chippewa National Forest. We've got miles upon miles of biking and hiking trails. Paul Bunyan and Bathe the Blue Ox. Fine shops and eateries in downtown Bemidji. Headwaters of the mighty Mississippi at Itasca State Park. Beautiful resorts, hotels, and bed and breakfasts. Visit Bemidji one step further. We are getting ready for the Governor's Fishing Opener with Nicole Lalum of Explore Minnesota. She's uh, an in, in, let me try that again. She's the Industry okay. Relations Coordinator and the Governor Fishing Opener Coordinator as well. That's uh, that's a lot of stuff to do. It's a lot of stuff to do. <laughs> so, what is what is Industry Relations? Industry Relations is working with partners in the tourism, um, hospitality, uh, in the Northwest and Central regions and really elevating their stories to our marketing and communications teams to to promote Minnesota and then also sharing our programs with them. Governor's Fishing Opener, pretty self-explanatory. It's been around a long time. How Actually, how long has the Governor's Fishing Opener been around? 
74 years. Wow. 74 long years. 1948 was the very first one. And no, I haven't been coordinating them that whole time. I didn't think so. <laughs> well, Nicole, uh, it, it is a true tradition in Minnesota, unquestionably. Obviously, 2020 um, kind of wreaked havoc, but we did have it back last year. We did. We were in Otterkill County last year, 2021. It was a fantastic opener. You know, that team worked so hard to get it off the ground, to plan something like that in a pandemic. We had redundancy backup contingency plans for A, B, and C. And it was just, they pulled off a great one. People had a really great time. And uh, this year, kind of a unique governor's opener in that it's not, uh, well, and Ottertail County really wasn't town-driven either, but usually it's a, you know, there's a destination town involved. Not so much with this one. This is kind of a forest-involved opener. It is. We are partnering with the uh, Chippewa National Forest and collaborating with the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe to take off on the Minnesota governor's opener this year. We're really excited about those um, collaborations. So what uh, what is going to happen this year at the Governor's Opener? Well, this year we'll be exploring uh, the Chippewa National Forest, Cass Lake area, as well as Bina and other places around Lake Winnebagoshish. And um, there will be some time to explore on your own as a guest, uh, see what there is to uh, see and do and eat. And then also we'll be fishing. I mean, that's what you got to do, right? <laughs> that so. is what you got to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it, uh, it kind of gets started on Friday, right? It does get started on Friday. We have a media uh, a media event in the morning. That'll be at Norway Beach Visitor Center. And I was just there on Wednesday, Kevin. Oh my gosh. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it was CCC built in the 30s. It's almost 100 years old. There's no insulation in it. And it was so cozy. I was, it was crazy. They told me that the only improvements have been like electrical and plumbing, but it's just still standing strong after all these years. That's awesome. It's really a gorgeous building. It's a full visitor center. They have displays there for everyone to see as well. And there's a campground too. Yes. And and then we'll uh we'll have uh, I know you've got some other stuff throughout the day and then there's a in addition to the fishing there's there's other things going on on Saturday too. There is. We will be having a launch ceremony and um we're partnering with the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe on that. They're going to have a flag song, uh drum song which I think will be really cool. I haven't seen one of those with a fishing opener before. And um, we're going to have a short lunch because you got to, right? Yes. you got to have that, that nice, nice warm shore lunch. And we're going to be doing that at Isili Bay. Okay. So kind of exciting. Well, Lake Winnie is certainly a gem. It's a great fishing lake, unquestionably. But it is kind of out there in the middle of nowhere. It's not, uh, it's not uh, close to any, you know, destination town really it's just kind of there uh and it just cranks out fish it it does they were telling me about the fishery the amazing fishery that's there and in the walleye um stripping operations that happen and we drove around the whole lake well as as well as we could i don't know that you can get around the very (laughs) north side but we we pretty much drove around the whole lake and it's just it's so gorgeous it's undeveloped there's awesome resorts mom and pop resorts up there that are just gearing up for this big season for them uh opening fishing is huge on lake winnie and uh yeah very excited and you've got a number of uh really good guides and of course the one taking out the governor tom newstrom uh probably one of the best guides in the nation 
you know, I, that's kind of what I've heard. <laughs> and I rode around with him on Wednesday, and he was just the nicest guy. He told us some great stories. He's actually been involved in Governor's Fishing Openers five times before. So he's got a, a nice long history. He was telling us stories of Governor's past, and, yeah, it was good. He seems like a really good guy. All right, so... um what kind of impact can this have on Lake Winnie and uh, the, the resorts and the businesses uh, of that area? Well, what, what we try to do with the Governor's Fishing Opener is really shine a spotlight on an area of Minnesota and, and really try to tell their stories the way they want them told. And so um, we're going deep uh, in, in fishing stories. We're going deep in telling the stories of the Chippewa. Uh, National Forest, as well as uh, the stories of the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe. And now, um, like you said, we've, we've been doing this for 74 years. Uh, it takes some work for a community to get going. They've, it, it takes uh, probably a couple of years at least of planning, right? From application time, uh, and if you're chosen on your first round of application, it probably is about 12 to 18 months, generally okay. speaking. Um a lot of it was a heavy lift for communities. There were requirements that um, that really made it difficult to try and plan during a pandemic. <laughs> you know, asking communities to put up resources and volunteer time and and that sort of thing. But we're coming out with an RFP for 2023, a request for proposal, and um, it's down to its core elements and then whatever the community wants to add for their own taste. Um, is, is kind of what the plan is going to be. Okay. Well, uh, about how many media outlets from around the state of Minnesota are going to show up and uh, and and be at the Governor's Fishing Opener? Well, I would say there's going to be anywhere from 30 to 90. Wow. I know it's a big, big, wide space. <laughs> I can tell you, you know, what I have right now, and then in the next two weeks, you know, if any media are listening to this and you've got your invite, please register so we know. You're coming? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I'd like to thank other media listening to this show. That would be nice to uh, you know, <laughs> listen to theirs. So, uh, <laughs> it is a it is a great uh, event, and certainly uh, you learn a lot. Even if you don't make it to the governor's opener, I, as one who consumes media, you learn a lot about these communities. And uh, obviously, the the ultimate goal is to get more people to visit them down the road. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Which uh, is kind of what Explore Minnesota is all about. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Explore Minnesota. Um, it's been around for a long time, too, and its its main job is to let people in Minnesota and the nation and the world know what all we got here, right? That's right. We are the tourism promotion agency for the state. So we promote, um, facilitate, and inspire consumers to travel here. That's what we do. We're a marketing agency. And... It is such a fantastic job, but it is a it it is has been hard uh, with the pandemic. I mean, the world shut down, and we're just now starting to dip our toes back into international travel, uh, recruitment, uh, group tours, and things like that. So it's very exciting times at Explore Minnesota. You know, it's uh, interesting. You know. Uh I, I look at Explore Minnesota quite a bit, some of the different things you have going on, some of the different ads you have out there, and go to your website. And just, I've been in this state basically my whole life, and I don't really want to get into how many years that is, but <laughs> I'm still discovering new stuff about Minnesota. 
Oh, there's so many fantastic nooks and crannies in this state, isn't there? Oh yeah. We have um we have a program started right now called Minnesota Sips and it's we've partnered with breweries, wineries, distilleries around the state um to kind of get people out, you know, checking out Revelation over in Hancock and um all of those places that you might not know about. Yeah. Yeah, there's and there's there's so many of them, you know, and uh, even here. I mean, I've uh, lived here a long time and discovering new stuff all the time. But it makes me wonder, uh is there a study out there, a number that uh, you can tell us of of all the tourism in the state, how much of it is generated by other Minnesotans going to different parts of the state? It doesn't our revenue reports don't really uh break down that way. Um but I can, we do have information on, um, by county, what the spend is um, on tourism and hospitality. We've lost almost $14 billion in that spend since the beginning of the pandemic. Wow. Um, and, you know, leisure's coming back, and hopefully business and corporate travel will start coming back soon, too. It, uh, it does seem to be getting a little bit more normal uh, in our everyday lives, that's for sure. And, and obviously, you know, there's so many parts of Minnesota that need need that to come back. I, I do know that, you know, there was uh, a number of guides told me they saw their business pick up simply be, by, by the fact that you couldn't go to Canada. Many, many people who would go up to Canada and fish couldn't go that far. They ended up fishing in Minnesota instead, helped the guides out a little bit. And a lot of them said, "Wow, we'll be back." Uh, so yeah. hopefully, in the long term, that uh, that's some benefit to us. Well, it's it's definitely increased um, people experiencing the outdoors, hasn't it? It and does. We have that in spades in Minnesota, whether it's mountain biking or hiking or paddling or fishing. Um, and again, the governor's fishing opener is coming up uh, Friday and Saturday, the 13th and 14th of May, and uh, in the heart of the Chippewa National Forest. And, of course, the governor himself will be on Lake Winnie. Uh, anything else we should know about the governor's fishing opener? You can um, check out any information at mngovernorsopener.com or, you know, explore uh, your social media platforms for, for photos. For for Minnesota businesses that are in the in the uh, tourism business, uh, how can they use uh, Explore Minnesota to help them? Uh, reach out to me. My name's Nicole. I'm happy to help. That's what I do. So uh, just call Explore Minnesota and um, ask for Nicole. She is Nicole Lalum. She's the Industry Relations Coordinator for Explore Minnesota and the Governor's Fishing Opener Coordinator here in our neck of the woods in Paul Bunyan Country in a couple of weeks in the Chippewa National Forest. Nicole, thanks for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Kevin. And if anybody's interested in what's going on, exploreminnesota.com. Theoretically, our boats will be floating on water as we open the fishing season on May 14th. We'll have to wait and see, but we're going to talk about it anyway for the next two weeks. And up next, we're going to get back to finding out more about Malak with Malak's Area Fishery Supervisor, Tom Heinrich, on Fish in Paul Bunyan Country. I think we may have mentioned once or twice that Bemidji State University is located in the heart of the lakes and forests of the Northwoods. And we may have mentioned that it's the only place in Minnesota where you can earn a four-year degree in aquatic biology. The reason we bring these things up is because if you're listening to this show, those might be some really important things to you. 
The state-of-the-art program embraces BSU's outdoor setting, offering a high-tech lakeside facility. Well, I said a high-tech. How about several lakeside high-tech facilities and a ton of opportunities for research and a hands-on education? You can do fisheries biology. You can do aquatic systems. You can do wetlands ecology. You can even do wildlife biology. So if you're thinking of an aquatic or wildlife biology education at Minnesota's premier Northwoods University, don't think, act. At least investigate. Visit BemidjiState.edu. As longtime listeners to the show know, we spend the first couple of weeks of Fish and Paul Bunyan Country looking in-depth at the gems of Paul Bunyan Country. One of the big ones is Thousand Lakes. Or as the French call it, Malax. Tom Heinrich is the Malax Area Fisheries Supervisor, and he's back with more on that beautiful lake. One of the things we, we talked about before we, we got on the air, you were discussing the um, you know the your classes for walleye uh, have been a, a little bit on the lower end of normal the last year or two. Yeah, you know that's kind of uh, that's a little bit disappointing for us. The population of fish that's 14 inches and longer seems to be about where it was last year, but. Uh, uh, we're seeing some relatively light recruitment in the most three in the three most recent year classes, you know, and that was um, that was the primary reason that we uh, dropped our safe harvest level from 150,000 to 135,000 pounds this year, uh, just because we weren't seeing a lot of um, a lot of fish coming up to replace the ones that are going to be harvested or just dying this this current year. Any thoughts on what what's gone on the last few years? Um, well, with walleye, it's almost always weather. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, long term on Mille Lacs Lake, I think we've seen some pretty significant productivity declines. Uh, there's just less um, less nutrients going into the lake, and that's you know that's probably a good thing for the most part. You know, the um, uh, the reason that there's less um, nutrients going into the lake is primarily just because septic systems, you know, from the cabins that pretty much ring Mille Lacs Lake, have been brought up to some kind of current standards, and so that's going to lower the productivity of your lake. Um, but you also have to, you know, understand that zebra mussels have come into the lake, and zebra mussels can have a really big influence on any kind of um, fish populations that rely on the planktonic food web. So, you know, all the little beasties that swim around up in the water column, zebra mussels filter out algae, and that's the primary, that's the base of the whole planktonic food web. And as that algae um, um, abundance goes down, you just can't support as many fish because that. Uh, um, the energy from from that food chain is being channeled into zebra mussels, which nobody eats. That's one of the. Those are a couple of the causes of the long term issues that we're having on Mille Lacs. How long have zebra mussels been present on Mille Lacs? Uh, the first year, I believe that they were reported was 2005, and we started doing zebra mussel surveys in 2006. And um, it took them a while to get really to really get going, but they peaked in, in uh, 2012. And through through the continuing surveys, we've been able to monitor how their abundance has been changing through time. Mm-hmm. And right now, the zebra mussel abundance seems to be about oh maybe one third to one half of what it was at the peak. Mm. But uh, which is a good thing. Yeah. But you still have to realize that that's a heck of a lot of zebra mussels <laughs> that are still out there. You know, each one of these things filters about a liter of water per day. You know, and if you've got like hundreds of zebra mussels per square foot in areas, that's that's a lot of water filtering going on. How noticeable has zebra mussels been as far as changing the the clearness of the water? The um, the water clarity you know, normally when zebra mussels invade a lake, you know, the water does become a lot more clear, and that's because they're filtering out the algae. 
Now, what happened in our case is water cleared up actually in the mid-1990s, uh, so which was like 10 years before zebra mussels came in, and I think that was primarily due to fewer, fewer nutrients going into the lake. Now, what happened with zebra mussels is shortly after zebra mussels invaded, spiny water fleas also invaded. Mm-hmm. So uh, zebra mussels would have, um, they would have maybe started clearing the water just because, you know, they started um, reducing the amount of algae that was in the lake. But then spiny water fleas come in and they're a predator. So spiny water fleas are just another zooplankton. But what they do is they feed on other zooplankton, which in turn feed on algae. And so, you know, the impact of zebra mussels and spiny water fleas on water clarity might actually have offset each other. Uh, zebra mussels would have cleared it, but through grazing on um, the uh, zooplankton, the native zooplankton that would feed on algae, that actually allowed the algae population to kind of stay about where it was. Um, and, and so in our case, you know, it doesn't seem like zebra mussels offered any additional water clarity. Okay. Uh, but what they did is, you know, whatever they did take out of the water uh, column ended up being deposited on the bottom of the lake. And the bottom of the lake is uh, kind of the base of the food chain that smallmouth bass really tend to utilize. And so after zebra mussels came in, we saw, you know, a, a pretty good population expansion in our smallmouth bass. It's all very complicated, and uh, <laughs> I, I find it really interesting whenever I talk to people about this stuff, but, but it's, it's very, very complicated, and it's, I think it's far more complicated than we, we really understand. It, it is. You know, a lot of, you know, what I get as well, you know, we should just stock some more walleye in the lake and poof, all of a sudden we'll have a big walleye population again. But it's it's way beyond that. It's not that easy. What are your best estimates as far as the the, the amount of pressure on that lake? How many people are out there catching fish? Oh, boy. I've got some ideas on what the angler hours are. You know, the uh, it's it's interesting because, I mean, we had a, kind of, we had a relatively slow winter this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a couple of reasons for that. You know, one was that just as the ice was forming, you know, we got some really big snowfalls here, and that caused a lot of problems for people um, building their ice roads that we would normally have out here. We had a lot of slush on the lake, and so things really got going late for us this year. And then because we had a, a pretty abundant uh, perch population, you know, the walleye bite was a little bit off. And so there were there were lakes, you know, further north that were more attractive to a lot of anglers to go to. Um, and so our winter pressure was down this year, but I mean, typically our winter pressure really hasn't been impacted by the regulations very much. Uh, what we see, though, is our summer angling pressure is about half of what it is or what it was, you know, prior to the implementation of the really restrictive regulations that we've got right now. So basically, what we've lost is uh, we've lost a lot of the, uh, you know, the anglers that are looking for a meal of fish, and what we've uh, retained or even gained to some degree is first of all smallmouth bass anglers uh, and then the walleye anglers that are still here are the ones that are you know okay with you know basically a catch and release walleye fishery but what uh, makes that livable is the fact that yours yours is a lake that you can catch walleye you just can you know a lot of walleye lakes they, they get really 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 quiet um it's you know if you get that one you want to eat it but with you guys you can get out there and you can just you can just catch fish you just can't. Oh, yeah, and that's important to people. You know, yeah. um, the the ability to catch fish and participate in that fishery is huge. You know, and, you know, I mean, there, I you know, I like eating walleye as much as the next guy, but there's there's a number of people that, you know, that's just not an important part of their fishery. Right. You know, they would rather catch a pile of fish than, you know, than take a few home. Right. Well, um, how did you get into this business? 
<laughs> you mean on Mille Lacs or? Uh, well, <laughs> let's start to start with the, getting into the fisheries to begin with, and yeah, may, may, how you made your way to Mille Lacs. Well, my uh, boy, I guess I just got into you know the whole idea of having a career in fisheries, the same way a lot of us did. It's that I grew up fishing. You know, mm-hmm. my uh, my family um, was into the whole fishing and camping and outdoor scene. And it just intrigued me, you know, how, you know, I always wondered, well, how did people make up these regulations? How do we know what's going on? And uh, and as a result of that, I just kind of, uh, I got curious and I geared my uh, my education towards being a fish biologist. Um, after I graduated college, I got extremely lucky and I got a job as a fisheries technician right away on Lake Erie. And I worked there for six years, but uh, I grew up in the Midwest, and I always wanted to get back to the Midwest, and I ended up landing a job up in Bidette. Oh, okay. And uh, ultimately up there, I became the large lake specialist for Lake of the Woods, which was a really, really cool job. Um, And then um, kind of through, you know, uh, I mean, I had kids, you know, and the kids grew up, and they moved south. And when the opportunity to work on Mille Lacs um, appeared, you know, my, my wife was really pushing to get a little bit closer to the kids. And, um, and you know, and I was interested in moving up in the world as well. And uh, so we moved down to Mille Lacs. And uh, so my career path has basically been, you know, smaller and smaller lakes. I started on Lake Erie and moved to Lake of the Woods, and now here I am in Mille Lacs. You know, it's not often you have people refer to Mille Lacs as a smaller lake. <laughs> yeah, not too many people have followed my career path. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you a Minnesotan to begin with, or? Oh my God, I've got a long and complicated <laughs> history. Um, more or less, I grew up in Wisconsin. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I've I've lived in Canada. I was born in Germany. Oh wow! You know, so I'm a I've, I'm a creature of the whole world, I guess. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, were you in Wisconsin long enough to be infected with Packer fever? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. man. Almost like being reborn. <laughs> you seem like such a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's just some things I can't help. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I know. I know a bunch of you guys. Most, yeah. of, most of you are pretty nice. Uh, <laughs> we try. <laughs> yeah. So, what would you say going forward? Uh, are the things you need to watch in the next couple of years and, and you, things you would consider the biggest challenge on the lax? Boy, my biggest challenge is just getting people to understand why we do the things that we do. It's, 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 a, it's a huge perception problem. And, um, and just getting people to understand the biology, you know, the change in the productivity. You know, I mean, we have to, we have to acknowledge that, uh, you know, the, uh, the various um, bands that were signatory to the 1837 treaty, they have rights on this lake, and that's that's federal law. You know, um, they have those rights, and that's just the way it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and between that and productivity changes on the lake, you know, if I could get people to understand those issues, I think my career has been well worth it. Okay. Um, anything else we should talk about before we wrap it up? Boy, I yeah I don't know. I mean, uh, if you come to Malax, you know I mean you got to have realistic expectations. You know if you come here expecting to harvest a bunch of fish, you're probably not going to be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to come here for the fishing, you know you can expect some some decent fishing at least. And um, you know think about uh, diversifying your fishing beyond just walleye. You know think about our smallmouth bass resource, maybe some pike. 
I, th- I think, you know, the way we approach our day of fishing is going to be key to how happy you are at the end of that day. That's the key. You know, open up your mind a little bit, and, and, and more and more anglers are doing that. And they're, they're finding ways to, to have a full day of fishing. And, you know, in the morning we maybe go after walleyes, and we switch over to bass, and then we do this for a while and wrap it up uh, in the evening maybe going walleye fishing again, and, and you'll have plenty of action. Yep, yep, I agree. He is Tom Heinrich. He is the Area fishery Supervisor on Mille Lacs. And, uh, Tom, as always, great to have you on the show. Thanks for taking time with us today. Yep, it's my pleasure to be here, Kevin. You've been listening to the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors podcast, sponsored by Northwest Technical College and Bemidji State University. You can catch the radio show Saturdays on KBUN Sports Radio 104.5 in Bemidji, B93.3 in Brainerd, and Kick FM in Alexandria. And of course, multiple times a week, we'll have great stuff for you right here on the podcast. The Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors podcast has also been sponsored by Visit Bemidji.